several things going on over the next month. We have a special service today with uh, baptisms, and three folks are going to be getting baptized today, and we are blessed to follow the Lord's uh, command um, with that. And then next Sunday, we will have communion, which some of you say, well, that's not all that out of the ordinary. We do that about once a month around here. But it's going to be our last communion before Easter, which hopefully will be a special and sweet time for you as a follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, the Sunday after that is our Easter celebration uh, cantata. And so, all right, somebody's uh, spiritual birthday got saved on Easter. It's actually, that's good. That's actually Palm Sunday, so it's not Easter Sunday. We're going to have our cantata on um, that day, Palm Sunday. So please invite your friends uh, to be a part of that. It's a great opportunity. And we'll have a special presentation by the uh, choir, and there'll be some readings as well. And then the next Sunday is Easter Sunday, which is a great day for us to celebrate as well. Choir is singing today and every Sunday for the next, I think, three weeks and uh, many special things that are going on. So please do be a part of what is happening here and invite somebody to come along with you as we're glad to see the exciting things that God is doing here at Calvary. Hopefully you see those things in your life as well. I'd like for us to pray one more time before we turn to God's word. Heavenly Father, we're going to need you to be clearly involved in this time. As we know you've given us your perfect word of God, we know we have the Holy Spirit within doing the wonderful job of teaching within your saints. You've allowed me to prepare and study. But God, all that would fall short if you were not clearly involved in the next several moments as we open your word, as we examine a little bit about Jesus Christ and learn about you. So would you clearly be our teacher? We would give you the praise and glory for anything more that we know about you, any greater way that we can serve you because of our time spent together today. And I pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are some memories that stand out throughout our years. I do not have a ton of childhood memories that often that, that come back to me. But there are some things from my childhood that were very exciting for me. Some will stand out, and I'll share one of those memories with you to start our time today in the message. When I was probably about second grade, we had in our basement an old pool table that hardly ever got used. Now, we didn't play pool much on that pool table, but what I was able to do was I was able to take some dominoes domino set not a small set but a big set and I could go down there and spend hours setting up these elaborate domino systems where you push one domino and of course you have the domino effect and they all go down I I remember spending a lot of time down there working on those I remember learning the hard way you've got to take some measures to make sure you don't accidentally bump something and blow the whole thing And when I would spend my time setting up some kind of a, what I thought was an incredible creation with those dominoes, I would go and I would get the family and I would say, you guys got to come down. It's almost time. It's about time for the big show. And I had, sometimes I'd have a bridge going up and dominoes going underneath. I mean, just imagine what an eight-year-old can do, right? That's what I was doing down there on that old pool table in the basement. And I can remember the family coming around and the adults, you know, being very, you know, cordial to me, very nice and excited for me. And sometimes I'd push the first domino. Sometimes somebody else might get that special honor. And we'd watch 
as the dominoes all got knocked down. And then we'd jump for joy, or I would anyway, and applaud. And then it would all be done. And then I could go and set them up again. If I can use this illustration to invite you to do something today, I'd like to invite you. So imagine I'm coming out and grabbing you and bringing you in to observe something. I'm not bringing you in to observe me setting up one domino or even ten dominoes. But I'm going to ask you right now to prepare yourself for observing something that's a much, much bigger picture than that. I'm not going to pull you from different parts of the house to come and observe this. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually take you out of the system, if I can use this mental picture today. I'm going to pull you out of what's going on in this big picture, and I'm going to ask you to come and stand back and take a look at it and not see what an eight-year-old is able to do with some dominoes, but I want to pull you out of this system so that you can see what an infinite God can do with men and women and children in a world that he has created for his glory. We're going to spend some time today leading up to the the passion, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and we're actually going to um, look at some of those scriptures today of the work that Christ did on the cross. But my goal is a, a broad goal. I'm going to try to ask you to pull yourself out of that system and take a look, and this will give you confidence in what God is doing. I think if there's one thing that stops children of God, it's a lack of confidence in what he's got going on. Because the truth is, as we spend time in this world, we are just looking through kind of a fog. We're peering through a fog. That's the picture we get in the Bible of how we think in this present world. And when we think of that, it's very, very easy for us to lose sight of the big picture. And so I'm going to ask you to stand back today and look at the big picture of what God is doing. And what we'll see in God's Word today is that Jesus Christ has been the one and only plan for mankind to have peace and to have any kind of joy in this world. There has never been a different plan. And some of you might say, well, what about before Jesus was born? Was there something different going on then? Absolutely not. Those individuals that follow God, we today can look back at the cross as a historical event. We can see what Jesus did. But before Christ did that work, individuals, listen, they were saved in the same way. But instead of looking back at the work, they would look forward in anticipation that there was a work that was going to be done, a permanent work, so they would not have to go and take animals to the temple for sacrifice anymore. There was something that was going to happen that they would look forward to. And so for you and I, I think we live in a blessed time when we not only can know beyond the shadow of a doubt the historical fact of Jesus Christ, but so many of us have had that change in our hearts to where you walk through the world and God does something and you observe that and it's obvious to you there's something bigger going on than just you. And yet he allows us to be a part to be a domino, if you will, in this plan. 
When Jesus taught in this world, the audience that was listening to him, oftentimes he would have to undo some of their thinking. They would have a unique way of thinking about something, and Christ oftentimes had to undo some of that. Christ was oftentimes talking about this bigger picture, and they couldn't comprehend that. On a very, very small scale, some of them that were with Jesus, they were just thinking about getting another free meal, right? Some of them were thinking about getting healed, and we can't blame them for that. Christ healed the blind and the lame and the deaf. There was a big picture that Jesus Christ, if people could, see, could pay attention, close attention, they might see a little bit of it in some of his words. And of course, so many of these things were hidden even from the disciples where afterwards their eyes were opened. The Holy Spirit would reveal to them what God was doing. What is this big picture that I'm asking you to take a look at today? Well, it involves Jesus Christ, and I want to ask two questions Two questions that we will ask today. The first question is, who is Jesus? And the second question is, why did Jesus come to earth? All that to take us to Matthew chapter 5. Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, please? Matthew 5. Now, that is exactly where we left off before. And as we jump to Matthew chapter 5, this is, we're going to skip a few verses and come back to them after Easter. This is the section where it says, you are the light of the world, and I don't want to rush through that. So today we're only going to cover one verse in Matthew chapter 5. During Jesus' earthly ministry, there was a variety of ideas about who he was. The world was a religious world, and they had religious figures. The Jewish population had famous Jews that they would love and they would hold up there. And there were some during Jesus' time that just simply thought that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was another great prophet from a long line of prophets. And yet when Jesus Christ is here, he does not allow that thinking to continue. We're in Matthew chapter 5. We're just going to highlight verse number 17 today. This says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So I mentioned some were thinking incorrectly about Jesus Christ, and they were thinking he's just a great teacher. He's a miracle worker, kind of like Elijah was, or Moses. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I am not just another prophet. I have come to fulfill this. Now, before we blame too many people for having a wrong idea from years ago about who Jesus was, I want to suggest today that many people in good churches today have a wrong idea about who Jesus Christ was. I'm not taking away anything from their understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but instead I'm talking about a group of people who want to just fall in love with and go to all the time the New Testament and never even think about the Old Testament. Some individuals have jumped into the Old Testament and they've been confused. It can be difficult. Some folks jump into it without a good preparation before they get into it. They change all their dietary habits and change what they do on certain days of the week. And I would suggest that you get some advice from a mature Christian before you start to change your life habits based on some things in the Old Testament. 
But I also need to give us a warning that God has given us the Old and the New Testament and the Old Testament should not be a place in your Bible that does not have the pages worn. It should be a place where you are in because when Jesus Christ came and did this incredible work, he points to the writings in the Old Testament. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he lets us know plainly, I did not come to reverse the law, but to fulfill them. And that word fulfill is a key word in the message today. Jesus tells everyone listening, I am the very one they were talking about. I don't know how you work your day typically, how you get things done, but my day, almost every day of the week, revolves around some kind of a to-do list. I've got a picture on the slide of a to-do list, but I actually brought one of my to-do lists from this week in here. I put it on cardstock, so it's pretty important to me. And I've got several things on there. I think probably some of you are on this to-do list, all in a positive way, I'm sure. Uh, and if you look at the to-do list, really the big benefit to a to-do list comes when you get one of the items done and you get to put a check next to that item. Done. Never to be done again. Cross it out. There's a little bit of a feeling of excitement that you get. I love a to-do list. I've joked with some of our staff around here. I've done something that wasn't on my to-do list. I'm half tempted to go and write it on my to-do list so that I can go and put a check next to it. I have some days where I look at my to-do list and I won't have anything completed on that list. And that takes the wind out of my sails. I put things on my to-do list by matter of importance. And if I can use this illustration with you of a to-do list, I want to suggest to us that Jesus Christ, if we can use that picture of a to-do list, Jesus Christ is saying that he has fulfilled what needed to be done. You see, a task is fulfilled when it's removed from the to-do list because it's accomplished. Let me say that again. A task is fulfilled when it's removed from that to-do list because it has been done. And Jesus Christ is saying, by my coming into the world, look at how many things on God's to-do list were accomplished. Some individuals have spent a lot of time counting how many things were said that were going to happen and actually were fulfilled. The prophets were announcing God's to-do list, if I can use that phrase. And we find some specifics in the first chapter of Matthew in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, if I were to tell you we're going to have our message in Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Christ... There are some of you that wouldn't get too excited about that. Genealogy? Are you looking forward to me trying to pronounce some of those names of some of those guys in the genealogy? Well, I'm not going to impress you with any of that today, but I am going to ask you to turn backwards to Matthew chapter 1 in your Bible. Just a couple pages back to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse number 1. In this genealogy, we're going to see three things that, are, that Christ is fulfilling. Let me read verse number one for us. In the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of 
Abraham. Now I'm going to stop right there and just talk about these two individuals. We'll go in chronological order, so we'll start with Abraham. God says to Abraham, years before, that all of the world is going to be blessed through him. Can you remember some of the details of Abraham's story? Remember how old he was and he did not have a child yet? He doesn't have a child, but God said all the world's going to be blessed through his line. And then this miracle baby comes, Isaac. Isaac comes. But let me ask this question. Is all the world blessed because of Isaac? Well, Isaac's not here anymore. He's not on the scene. And so clearly it was not Isaac that brought a blessing to all of the nations of the world. And so I want to suggest to us today that this item, the promise to Abraham, goes on God's to-do list. And then we see David also in Matthew 1.1. God made promises to David. Let me read, for you, read from you a verse from 2 Samuel chapter 8 where we find a promise about David's offspring. And it says, He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the, the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, did David build a house for God? No, he did not. David wanted to, but he was not allowed to, if you can remember the story. Instead, who did God allow to build an incredible house for him? It was David's son Solomon. Solomon built a house that they would talk about all around the world. But does that house fulfill the promise that God gave? No, it does not. We know that Nebuchadnezzar knocked that temple down many years ago. And so what happens to this promise that's given to David? I want to suggest to us that it goes on God's to-do list. And then very quickly, the third thing that we find is the promises during the exile. God's people got into the promised land, and then God's people were driven out of the promised land, taken into captivity. And the third third of this genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 talks about the exile, and it talks about a promise. And here's what the promise is. God's followers are not only going to follow him and obey him because it's commanded, but instead God is going to create a people that love righteousness. God is going to create a people that love his law. And as we examine Old Testament history, we find characters like Ezra and Nehemiah that leave captivity and they come back to Jerusalem, they rebuild the temple, they rebuild the walls, but we do not find a people who are obeying God because their hearts thirsted after righteousness. We do not find that at all. And so I want to suggest to us that this promise given to the exile, that there will be people one day who will have a love for God's righteousness and his law, that had not happened yet at this point. And so God puts that on his to-do list. God has given wonderful promises through the Old Testament. There, if you're, if you're there in Matthew chapter 1, we find those promises, Abraham, David, during the exile. And then look at verse number 18 of Matthew chapter 1, where it says, Now 
the birth of Jesus Christ took place. And then skip down to verse number 22 where it says, all this took place to what? Fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. I want to suggest to us today that what God said was going to be done, it got done. Jesus Christ is not just something else being put on the to-do list in the big picture of mankind. In fact, when we examine Christ's birth, before his birth and in the early part of his life, and his death, if you make a study out of this, you can go and make all kinds of checks that got done on God's to-do list. Do you remember in the birth of Jesus Christ? There was a horrible ruler that wanted to kill the babies. Do you remember that part? Herod wanted to kill Jesus, and so he would kill all the babies there, all the baby boys in Bethlehem. And because of that, God speaks to the family and says, I want you to leave. And they ran away to, do you remember where they went to? They went to Egypt. And what had been said hundreds of years earlier, the Bible says before Christ was ever born, out of Egypt, I called my son. Check. Another thing on God's to-do list, checked off. I want you to turn to one more place today, Luke chapter 4. Would you turn over to Luke chapter 4 with me? And we're going to read a couple portions of Scripture that I think are God clearly doing some things that he said he would do. In Luke chapter 4, we find the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. When Jesus Christ is 30 years old, he's ready to begin his earthly ministry, and he goes to his hometown of Nazareth. I've been to Nazareth. It's not a big town. When Christ was born, it's likely that everybody, or when, when, where Christ lived, I should say, it's likely that everybody knew where Jesus lived. Not a big area. And yet now he's 30 years old. He returns to Nazareth, the town where he grew up in, and he goes to the synagogue, as was his practice. And before Christ starts to perform miracles, proclaim who he was, the Messiah, And before he gets into any kind of teaching, Jesus Christ goes to the synagogue and he does what he would do every Sabbath day. He goes to worship and he has the chance to read from the scrolls that day. Look in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse number 16. It says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then look at verse number 20 at what Jesus does. He finishes reading that section from Isaiah. And verse 20 says, He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is, 
has been fulfilled in your hearing. What God said was going to happen, it is being done. We find this in his birth. We find this in his life. We find it in his death. If I can test your memory one more time, one of Jesus' closest followers betrayed him. It was Judas. I encourage everybody leading up to the Easter season to go through the story of Jesus Christ. Maybe start in the, at the Lord's Supper and go all the way through, the, through his resurrection. Go through one of the Gospels in that account. And in that account, you will come across Judas. Judas was not a true follower. And he goes to the religious leaders and he asks them a question. Do you remember what he asked? He said, how much money will you give me if I turn Jesus over to you? And what was their answer? 30 pieces of silver. Turn over to Luke chapter 23. In Luke chapter 23, now we're coming to the death of Jesus Christ. Luke 23, I'm going to start reading in verse 44. It says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Christ is hanging on the cross. Verse 45, While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle when they saw what had taken place returned home, beating their breasts. So here we find the Son of God dies And then one more thing on the list I want to point to, and it's in chapter 24, starting in the first verse. But on the first day of the week, now, as we're reading this, in my head, I've got the music changing in my head. Have you noticed that in the movies before? Things are dark, things are down, there's maybe a, a minor key in the music. But now Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Imagine the strings kicking in. Imagine the trumpets The tone changes. Verse number one of Luke 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? And pay attention here to verse 6. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise. What did Jesus Christ do with those disciples when he was there in Galilee? What did he do? He put something else on the to-do list. He was delivered into the hands of sinful men. He was crucified, and on the third day, praise God, he rose from the grave. 
all the prophets and all the teachings that we find do not have something different than what's going on right here. You and I celebrate today by looking back to the work on the cross. Before Jesus came, they were looking forward to the work that would take place. We approach this Easter season understanding that from Genesis through Revelation, there is a story of Jesus Christ running through it. All right, I've asked you to step back and look at this big picture, and now I want you to step forward. You're going to place yourself back in the story. March 31st, 2019, that's your day today. The expression, you can't see the forest for the trees, that's the idea that comes to my mind. Sometimes we're not able to see the big picture because on some of these little days that are in the big picture, you're completely blind. There's darkness and there's pain. Perhaps you can't see because your eyes are filled with tears. It is going to be necessary for us to allow ourselves to have a faith that what's happening, we step back and look at that big picture. What's going on in that big picture is not only for God's glory, but it is for your good. God never does anything that is not for the good of his sons and his daughters. And you might not understand that. Just like when you were a five-year-old and you did something wrong, you got punished. There might be some confusion when you're five years old and this parent that loves you is punishing you. If you're a parent, you understand what I'm talking about. You didn't do that because you didn't like them or because you're an evil person. You did that so that down the road something better could come from it. We take by faith that when we are inserted into this day in the plan that God is doing something not just okay and not just ho-hum, but God is doing something miraculous through you, through Larry, through Susie, through John, through Sally. Insert your name there. And it's not hard for God. God has infinite power. It's no harder for him to make a million different things work for something to happen on a certain day of your life as it is for you to snap your fingers. Nothing is hard for God. And so we step back and we understand what he is doing is incredible. And it's not only about Jesus Christ. Yes, he's the central figure and that's where we will spend eternity thankful for his work on the cross. But God has created you for a purpose. God has created you as part of this story. And so I would challenge you today with these two questions. Have you turned to him for forgiveness and salvation? On your to-do list, are you an individual who has understood that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and you've asked him for forgiveness? and you know you are a son or a daughter of God, if you're not confident that you've done that today, you're not sure you're on your way to heaven, don't let another day pass by without checking that off your list. And then also, have you gotten serious about using your life for greater purposes? God makes you a steward of your time, of what you have in your bank account. God makes you a steward, don't miss this, God makes you a steward of your history. 
That means your pain. God makes you a steward of your story. And you and I are blessed to be what God is doing in this big picture. And that involves you on this very day. And it is worth it, brothers and sisters. It is worth it. When we get to heaven, and we've already heard a choir song about heaven today. We've sang a little bit about heaven. I promise you, it is worth it. God has a few more things to get checked off of his list. What might those things be? God might have the name of an individual that you know that is yet to turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. And maybe in God's task of checking that off his list, he has put a burden on your heart to share the gospel with that person, to be an example. After Easter, we're going to come back to this section talking about we are to be light in the world's that we live in. Put that on your list and allow yourself to write it every day. Let me sign my name at the end of this day that I did it for my God and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do look to you with faith. We know that there are so many areas in this world that we have to walk by faith. We cannot see what's happening We cannot know what you're going to do with it. But God, we trust that you are good. We trust that you have all power and you're gonna work things out for your glory and for our good. And I thank you for that. God, as we have group people that are here today, I don't know everyone here. I've not heard everyone's, about everyone's relationship with Christ. It could be that you've been working on someone's heart, maybe to get serious about following you, understanding that the years that they have are limited not to waste that time, but to use it for something eternal. There might be someone who needs to take that very first step and ask for forgiveness. Perhaps they're just now having it click in their mind that the reason we celebrate an empty tomb is because God the Son died, and the reason God the Son died is because they are a sinner. And if you're working in someone's heart, would you pull them to you right now and have them ask for forgiveness of their sins and to make them a child of yours? I would encourage you while the piano plays, take just a moment. If God's laid something on your heart, please pray at this time.